This is Schoolhouse Equity in Education. Welcome everyone to Schoolhouse. I am Allison Brown and I am your host. The American Educational Research Association, or AERA, has published its 2016 volume of Review of Research in Education. This year, AERA celebrates its 100th year with a volume entitled Education Research, A Century of Discovery. One of the chapters in that volume is called Advancing the Science and Practice of Social and Emotional Learning, Looking Back and Moving Forward. One of the six authors of that chapter is with us today. David Osher is Vice President and Institute Fellow at the American Institutes for Research. David also has had a hand in supporting the Department of Education to work with schools and school districts in changing their school climate to be more equitable, safe, and healthy for all young people. And he has been a key researcher in lifting up conversations about equity in the administration of school discipline. Welcome, David. Thank you for being on Schoolhouse. Thank you for having me, Allison. So this chapter about social and emotional learning looks back on over 100 years of research on SEL. Will you share first, what is social and emotional learning? Sure. Social emotional learning is a term that actually evolved since the 1990s and actually in the late 1990s, to really incorporate people's thinking about how people, not just children, it's also adults, develop the social and emotional competencies and to some extent the other aspects of their being that are important for them to handle their emotions Mm -hmm. and understand their emotions, Mm -hmm. to handle their relationships Mm -hmm. and understand their relationships. And some people would say to be able to also make good decisions. Mm -hmm. Certainly, more people would say making the right decisions, which is defined by what people expect are good decisions. But all of them come together and people tend to call the development of these skills Mm -hmm. and these competencies social and emotional learning. And how has... SEL, social and emotional learning, how has that been used in schools? I think schools always are overtly or covertly about elements of social and emotional learning, Mm -hmm. even though those elements may not be ones that are liberatory to children. Mm Mm-hmm or to communities. Mm -hmm. But all societies want children to grow up and be the types of people that the society would like them to be. And probably most people in most societies think that what they're doing is also giving children the tools to be successful in that. And that while people who talk about schools being just about reading, writing, arithmetic, Mm -hmm. think that other things have not been going on. Actually, they've always been going on. In the, the question, school. In the schools yeah. is whether or not they're overt yeah. or covert, right? whether or not they're unintentional yeah. or whether or not they're intentional. Those non-academic things. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And whether or not they're being done in a way that can enable all young people to succeed. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you're looking at somebody whose grades and deportment when he was in elementary school <laughs> and you're smiling, tells me you know it already, Allison. You know, we're I suspect Yes, David. yes, yes. And and spent lots of times in a principal's office, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now they weren't talking about social and emotional learning or ranking my social and emotional competencies, mm-hmm. but they really were. Yeah. On the other hand, they didn't do anything to do anything about it. Yeah. And yeah. I think what social and emotional learning is also about and what the research on social-emotional learning mm-hmm. establishes is that this is not just about some traits that you were born with. This is not about mm-hmm. some notion that you are just wired to be a certain way. And, you know, that's the way David is. And everyone who knows David <laughs> knows that I'm very, very impulsive, right? Yeah. But social emo- and emotional learning is about the fact that we can offer opportunities for people to learn, mm-hmm. for people to practice, mm-hmm. for people to be reinforced in what they're doing, yeah. for people to generalize these skills to new places, mm-hmm. and that teachers can, if they're doing this consciously, mm-hmm. or people who are supporting the social and emotional learning of teachers mm-hmm. could do it consciously, we can also try to assess how we are doing so we could get better at it. Yeah, right. Not to make the person a better person. Right. But so we can do our jobs our better. Our own job better. To help them develop. Precisely. Yes. Okay. It's fascinating. In your chapter, mm. you start a long time ago. Yeah. Where does it come from? And mm. what is the connection to yeah. really cultivating a healthy democratic society? Sure, sure. We started... 100 plus years ago, mm-hmm. because this was a centennial for the American Education and Research Association. Mm-hmm. However, 100 years ago was actually a really interesting point within the United States. Mm-hmm. It was a point where at least for white people, mm-hmm. there was a notion of trying to create a more engaging type of education. Mm-hmm. People identify it with John Dewey. Mm-hmm. Where our librarian system, our library system of Dewey Decimal System comes from. Who was a a very important educational theorist and psychologist. Mm -hmm. And also, because there's another player in this named Jane Adams who ran Hull House. Mm -hmm. John Dewey was also chairman of the board of Hull House for a good while. Mm -hmm. And why we dated this work there was if you looked at what was happening in the U.S., in the 1910s and the 1920s mm-hmm. and the 1900s, there really was an attempt to see learning as not just something that takes place in isolation of emotions, mm-hmm. in isolation of your own sense of motivation and control if you are a learner, mm-hmm. and in isolation of other people. Right. And so if one thinks about not just progressive education that focused on experience Mm -hmm. and focused on working in groups, but also what was happening in an area called group work, Mm -hmm. which is part of the origin of what we now know to be social work, but something very, very different from social work because it was replaced by casework. There was a notion at the time that people actually learned through group processes. Right. That it enhanced their own individual learning process to learn with other people. Because we're social beings, is that right? Exactly, because Mm -hmm. we're social beings. And then if we go on 
to the other part of the question that you raised, asked Allison, mm-hmm. which is about citizenship. Yeah. It's about democracy. And we just look again at Dewey, mm-hmm. or we look again at Jane Adams. Mm-hmm. The notion was also that in these processes, if they are democratic, mm-hmm. young people learn to be democratic. Mm-hmm. And to go further, if we think about issues of discipline that I know yeah. the people who I'm, I'm talking with, even though I can't <laughs> see all of you, mm-hmm. are concerned with that. Dewey also talked about the fact that you don't want external discipline. Yes, Children will motivate themselves when they feel a need to. It's what we now know and we now talk about as intrinsic motivation. Yes. So the turn of the century was a good place to look if we're looking again within people who had color privilege. But mm-hmm, let me add mm-hmm. what we didn't study, but I think is very important. Sure. And we know about it from really people passing it on orally and also people who have experienced it in their own families is I think if we look at African-American communities, particularly in the South, social and emotional learning mm. was as important, if not more important, mm-hmm. but because of the fact that for children and families to be able to survive in dealing with the risks of oppression that mm. were out there required people's ability to not be unnecessarily reactive, yeah. but to really be able to be very, very proactive in their lives. Mm-hmm. And so progressive education didn't fully go there. And mm-hmm. I want to, it's important to acknowledge. Yeah. But at the same time, what we really need to know more about mm-hmm. is the fact that social emotional learning was not just coming from white educators in the cities or in rural places in the North. Sure. It was also coming from black educators mm-hmm. and black parents and mm-hmm. black communities. North and South. And the idea of self-governance and, and right. self-discipline would That's have right. been very, very that That's would have right. been life or death. Exactly. Exactly. For, for and also community. a sense of social responsibility. Yeah. You know, the late, great Kenneth Clark um, mm-hmm. talked about the fact that when he was at Howard, he was a student of Ralph Bunch, and Ralph mm-hmm. Bunch talked to him and the, his fellow Howard students about their social responsibility to each other, yes. to a community. Kenneth and Mamie Clark being the doctors who were responsible you, for the social science that contributed to Brown v. Board. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that it's important for us to know that social-emotional learning doesn't just happen in schools. Yeah. And at the same time, some of the things that challenge social-emotional learning, and we, had, and we didn't talk about this in this paper, mm-hmm. also don't just happen in schools. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if adults are overly reactive to kids, whether they're adults in school or mm-hmm. adults at home because of the fact that they're fried and they're yeah. not being able to nurture their children, that affects social and emotional development yeah. as well. Well, and we were talking beforehand about your own democratic process for writing this article yeah, yeah. and the other the other folks who contributed to the the piece. Yeah. And so there is this, you know, wonderful and rich history in the beginning of the article, but you do explore the contemporary manifestations of That's SEL right. and the current impacts of yeah. SEL. What does it look like today, sure. SEL in school, yeah. and what are some of the benefits of it? Sure. And can we do one other thing, and that is Please. let's let me call out my colleagues as well. Wonderful. I thank you for, for appreciating the fact that we tried to do it, and I think we really did it in a collaborative manner. Mm-hmm. My colleagues were... That include two great colleagues of mine at American Institutes for Research, mm-hmm. Yale Kidron, whose PhD was in social and emotional learning, has mm-hmm. done a lot of work on character education, yeah. and 
Allison Demyicki, who was a student of Roger Weisberg at one point in their career and is mm-hmm. one of the people who did the famous meta-analyses mm-hmm. of social and emotional learning. Okay. And meta-analyses are when we take individual studies, combine them so that there becomes one big study and then mm-hmm. we can really try to look at effects. Mm-hmm. The other three authors were Roger Weisberg, whom I just mentioned, mm-hmm. who was the president and is now the chief knowledge officer of CASEL, the Collaborative Academic and Social and Emotional Learning, and mm-hmm. who's at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Mm-hmm. Stephanie Jones, who is at Harvard University School of Education, and Mark Brackett, who runs the Yale Center on Social and Emotional Learning. Mm-hmm. And these were not just people who wrote individual parts. We conceptualized this together, and that while different people took different pieces, we live to a standard that I call highest common factor rather than mm-hmm. lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. And everyone really had to agree on this. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, mm-hmm. the good question is that, so what's going on here now and what can we learn from it? Yeah. And let me just add one thing mm-hmm. also, if I may. Sure. That what social and emotional learning as it is taking off and is being used in schools and in communities also represents is people moving away from just thinking about traits, as I said before. Mm -hmm. And so I do think what is really important is over the past 20, 30 years, Mm -hmm. there being more optimism regarding children's ability to develop And I think also for adults' ability to continue to develop. Yes. And in fact, we have research to really show that adults can learn to change their behavior and handle stress in different ways. Mm -hmm. And if we look at their brains, when we do it, their brains start firing in different ways. Mm -hmm. In the same way that we now know that children can change and that instead of what we used to believe in, which is if you saw a kid at six or seven and we knew that that was the course for this kid, Mm -hmm. we now know that particularly in adolescence, there is this extraordinary opening up with another opportunity for there really to be learning on the part of the young person Mm -hmm. that are really developing her or his competencies that they can really talk about. Okay. Okay. So, so what's going on right now? Yeah. First thing is people are taking social emotional learning seriously. Mm -hmm. And that's even represented by this volume because Mm -hmm. of the fact that if this volume was done 10 years ago and there were only three chapters that focus on curriculum, which is what this book does, even though there are many chapters, Mm -hmm. we would not have had one on math and one on literacy and one on social emotional learning. Right. People it would, would have been have the seen, basics yeah, of it, education. That's right. uh-huh. So the fact that the AERA actually came even to us to say, would you do that, is very, very significant yeah. because it represents the fact that people understand that this is an important domain. And understand that, that maybe what was covert before that's right. has to be that's overt right. that's in order right. to get their training and That's right. And, and also to make sure that it's done in an equitable manner, which is a yes. different challenge. But yes. when you do it covertly, yeah. covertly, um, A, is much harder to get at, mm-hmm. but B, covertly and intuitively, there is no way for there to be a control on the humanity, including the biases that you bring to the work where there's you do no it overtly. Measure. There, there's exactly. no accountability. That's right. Yeah. So we need to make it overt. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or it's good to make it overt, I should say. Yes. So not only has the AERA recognized it, mm-hmm. but there is 
an increasing interest on the part of educators, principals, as well as teachers to do this. Mm -hmm. Because A, some of them have seen research Mm -hmm. that shows that it's important. It's important in terms of academic performance. It's important in terms of life performance. Mm -hmm. Others have seen it work either directly or they've heard about other people who've heard about what has happened when people have done social and emotional learning programs well. So Mm -hmm. people become more convinced of it. And also there are more possibilities to do it because there are more programs out there that might be useful. There are more people and centers out there that can provide people with support Mm -hmm. so that if people want to do it, they're not alone in doing this. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that everyone who wants to do this are able to do this yet. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that everyone wants to do it. Mm -hmm. But I do think that there has been a sea change we are really probably at a tipping point regarding the whole child. We're Mm -hmm. talking about social-emotional learning, but this involves issues of climate. This involves issues of the whole child, where I don't think people want to or will just move back because people have experienced the gaps that have existed Mm -hmm. when we've moved away from really trying to develop the whole child approach. And think about school climate. That's right. Mm -hmm. And I think at the same time, they've seen the evidence in terms of what happens when you don't do that. Mm -hmm. However, all of that being good and promising, many principals and many teachers would still say, this is great and I really want to do it. Mm -hmm. If I can figure out how I can do it and still get people to perform okay on the next test, if I can squeeze it in, (laughs) and so forth. And so these challenges are ones that remain. Yes. I think we're learning more about how to address those challenges, Mm -hmm. and I'm happy to talk about that. While many more people believe that this is important, Mm -hmm. not all people who believe it believe it that it's so important and they're so motivated that they'll do it no matter what. Yes. At any cost. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, motivation involves not just issues about what are the costs, but it's also issues about can I do it? Do I know how to do it? That's why it's important to help people develop the skills. I mean, Uh even if I think something's good, I may not do it if I don't think I can do it well. And so it's important to have a belief in something. And I think the belief that people has is because there's now been enough evidence in front of them about what doesn't work. Uh Uh-huh. And why we need this, as well as the fact that this can work. I think where as we a very are now is a common sense approach. That's right. <laughs> yes. It's, and it's just to help people implement what is common sense and what, if you had enough time mm-hmm. and if you were not stressed yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and if you had some modeling when you were becoming a teacher or when you were becoming a parent, yeah. all of those things would mean that common sense are easy to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. However, teachers teach many people. Mm -hmm. Teaching is pretty stressful. Yes. Parents are trying and having to do many things and families are trying to do many things, not unstressing. And so we're not in the ideal circumstances that enable people to realize common sense. Uh As a new practice. Yes, right. Uh And so Mm -hmm. again, social emotional learning is helping people put into practice what is really common sense and what is also 
the skills we need for good relationships. Mm -hmm. I want to just read a a very short excerpt from the piece about the value of SEL. And you say, meta-analytic reviews of this research show that children and adolescents who participate in SEL programs improve their social and emotional skills, attitudes about self, others, and schools, and pro-social behavior, thereby enjoying greater psychological well-being and academic performance. So there are tremendous benefits that have been demonstrated by the research, by the evidence, certainly for the children and adolescents in the school building and for the adults as well, as you were just sharing what are some of the drawbacks, if there are any, that you've that well, you've seen? First of all, a drawback is related to it is just common sense, and we've been doing it. People can keep on doing the same thing, but just do a little more, mm-hmm. and that may not be good enough. Mm-hmm. Or they can try to do something else, but they don't have the skills to be able to do it well. Mm-hmm. Or they may even do something so we have some effect where we could have much more. But say they select one of many good social and emotional learning programs. And I want to add I should, that there's also ones that are not necessarily good. But mm-hmm. let's say they do that. It's possible for a teacher to say, okay, I'm going to do my 20 minutes of social and emotional <laughs> learning today and everything else stays the same. Yeah. And if that's the case, while well, Some children may get a lot and other children may get a little. You're not realizing the true potential when social and emotional learning is integrated into the regular culture and the regular practices of a classroom. Yeah. You know that some people who are listening may sometimes go to a website like Edutopia. Mm Mm-hmm where I think you can really see examples of not just good social and emotional learning programs, but ways in which teachers incorporate social and emotional learning into the fabric of the school, of the classroom. Mm -hmm. I mean, the example that comes to my mind, if people want to see it, is to look at, and I'm not giving the precise term here, but it is teaching math as a social activity. Hmm. which is about this fifth grade instructor in Anchorage who is a brilliant teacher from my perspective mm-hmm. and who really teaches math in a way that is building children's social emotional skills but is building off children's social emotional skills for students not only to think creatively in math mm-hmm. but also to see the f- one of the things we know about math which is the fact that there may be multiple ways of getting at the same uh-huh. Right answer. Yes. Okay, that there may be different perspectives. And that I think the real benefit of social and emotional learning is realized when it is fully integrated mm-hmm. into the classroom. Mm-hmm. And we're not there yet. I mean, some of us, including my colleague Stephanie Jones and I, are trying to do research on some of those issues right now. And Stephanie and a colleague, Suzanne. Buffard really have written some really important stuff on focusing on strategies or what Stephanie would now call kernels mm-hmm. rather than just on programs. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can then integrate them more into the daily life of what happens. And right. it's not just a curricular. It's a thread instead yeah. of an, a yeah. whole umbrella yeah. of yeah. things to do. Yeah. But on yeah. the other hand, say as part of 
I know what I'm saying from having evaluated Castle's eight district initiative. Mm-hmm. And we're eight large school districts are doing social and emotional learning district-wide. Mm-hmm. And early on in Austin, Texas, a high school teacher who was really taken by social emotional learning took these strategies to the athletic coaches mm-hmm. and the gym teachers. <laughs> and I think just doing that in gym class, if mm. you change what's happening, is important. Okay, yeah. so we can do it a little. Mm-hmm. We can do it a little more. We can do it a lot. And One of the things is that individual children learn differently. So Mm -hmm. for some, just doing it a little more is all they need. Mm -hmm. For others, doing it a lot is what they need. But if you're integrated into the day-to-day routine, there's no cost for doing it. Uh It's part of how you help students also be more active learners, to see themselves as learners, to be able to reflect on their learning, to be able to think critically because they're also aware of their emotions and they can separate between how their emotions may want to make them react Mm -hmm. and what are the options that they ought to be thinking about so that academic and social emotional learning really go hand in hand. Yeah. That brings up for me a question. And especially for the folks who are, are listening, the focus of SEL seems to be very much the individual and Mm -hmm healthy human development, yeah. the, you know, development of the brain and, and um, social, you know, cognitive ability. Yeah. And a lot of the organizations that we support, our grantees and other community folks out there are focused on systemic reform. Sure. So how do we change the system so that it's actually treating That's children true. the right way? Yeah. I don't think that those things are in contention yeah. with each other, but what do you yeah. think? Oh, they're not in contention. And on the other hand, Let's simplify something, which is, and at the same time, even make it complex while we're simplifying mm-hmm. it, which is everything that happens in a child's life mm-hmm. all day, every day contributes to their social and emotional development, healthy yeah. and unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And if we really want young people to be able to thrive, mm-hmm. we want healthy opportunities for them that involve all the interactions that they have mm-hmm. and that's their interactions with their peers mm-hmm. or their when they and their siblings yeah it's their interactions with their teachers but the other people who are in the school staff that they interact with it's their interactions with people in the community mm-hmm. and it's their interactions at home and you can't do that by just focusing on the individual Because that ability of, let's say, peers to interact with a child in a supportive way Mm -hmm. and to upstand against bullying rather Mm -hmm. than to support bullying, just for example, Mm -hmm. or to call out microaggressions Mm -hmm. and to really address it, Mm -hmm. depends on their readiness. And so if they have not gotten the support to do it, they're not going to be available to do it. Mm -hmm. And the ability of a teacher to support, and particularly, let's say, if the child looks different than the teacher, Mm -hmm. or if the child, even if he, she looks like the teacher, is temperamentally different than the teacher Mm -hmm. would want, really depends on both that teacher's skills, but it also depends on what are the stresses and supports that that teacher has. Mm -hmm. You know, I know one person listening on this phone 
has been to Finland, where I have been as well. Mm -hmm. And I call it out because if I'm a Finnish teacher, Mm -hmm. and let me take it to downtown Helsinki, and let me take it to a place where lots of children who are there are children who have emigrated to Finland, so we don't have just an image of people out there on Nordic skis. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I have 15 minutes break between classes. Mm -hmm. It's going to be much easier for me to attune and meet the needs of my children. Yes. And if no matter what, as in Finland, there is a mandated child welfare team Mm -hmm. so that if a child has a behavioral need, I know I'm going to get support. That makes it easier for me to support a child's social and emotional development. And if that child has health care that's available to him or her outside of the school that may even include mental health care if they need, Mm -hmm. all those things together make it easier for me to be a teacher even before giving me the skills to do it. Yes, that's right. And if I'm a principal and say back in the U.S. and I really know that people tell me that my job depends on whether or not the next test score mm-hmm. looks X or Y and, and I feel great rates. pressure, uh-huh. I'm not going to be the person who's going to be saying to my teachers as I saw someone in a Finnish school say, Go experiment, take chances. Mm-hmm, you know, mm. do you know? Yeah. I may not. Yeah. So these are systemic issues that if we really want to make happen, it's important not just to think about them happening at one place, because of the fact that everything that happens I think is important. Mm-hmm. You know, we know from a lot of research that having an an adult in your life mm-hmm. at school who likes you and you're attached with is really important. And yes. the research is compelling on it. Yeah. But I can tell you that I've been in lots of places where when I speak to students, everyone has one adult who they think is good. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying they think they're attached to them, but then there are all the other adults. Yeah. And I think we have to understand that everything that goes on is an opportunity to either make stronger to amplify Mm -hmm. or it's something that turns the volume down Mm -hmm. and really doesn't help children really really develop it that makes me think about the law you know and civil rights law that was put in place for people to behave appropriately in hopes that eventually the climate and mindset etc would kind of come along with Mm -hmm the actions. And I think that it sounds to me like SEL is one way of ensuring that the school climate is equitable through the practices and the actions of the teachers and the young people in comporting themselves and engaging with one another. I think it has that potential. Mm -hmm. And I think you're very right. Let me add something that we talk about as one of the challenges in the book that Mm -hmm. I think is very important. Mm -hmm. And I say this as somebody who does work in social and emotional learning, not just in the U.S., but across the world, Mm -hmm. is I do think that there probably are a set of social and emotional needs Mm -hmm. and competencies that really exist across places. Mm Mm-hmm. But they are expressed and experienced Mm -hmm. in very culturally defined ways and and situations. And I think we also know that if you look at how people demonstrate resilience, that oftentimes dominant groups tend to see groups who are often dominated. Mm -hmm. 
and who often experience different forms of oppression as just being people who need support to be fixed. Yeah. When in reality, if we know those places more, we find that also people create their own places of resilience, even if there are things that need to be fixed. Yes. And I say all that because the very important work in the U.S. and in Western Europe that has been done on social and emotional learning mm-hmm. has largely been done by very, very well-intended people who look like me. Mm-hmm. And I think that... And, and you are a white oh, I, I, I am, right. Okay. <laughs> I am somebody who is of Jewish, <laughs> Caucasian descent. Uh-huh. Okay. And I think there are real important things that we can learn. But at the same time, I think we need many more researchers of color. Mm-hmm. And there are a whole bunch of them who are doing really important work. I mean, mm-hmm. my colleague, Rob J- Yeagers um, at University of Michigan, um, mm-hmm. Eddie Fergus. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I could go on and name lots of people, but I want to yeah. be clear that the dominant research and everything still has really come out of looking at some people and we need to figure out and learn more about doing this work in culturally adaptive ways. We need to do things, say, like Howard Stevenson, who's at the University of Pennsylvania, does, which is really helping young people learn to appropriate these skills Mm -hmm. and apply to their day-to-day struggle right now. Mm -hmm. And that's something that can be done, is being done. We need more of it. And at the same time, if I look at, say, work that I'm doing with people in Southwest China or in South Africa, Mm -hmm. what also happens is people also tend to define social and emotional learning Mm -hmm. in a less individualistic way Mm -hmm. than Mm -hmm. we will also do in our society. And so I think Mm -hmm. there is important work that has been done. There's even more important work that needs to be done. And again, this is not all white. I mean, one of the one of the key people in the development of this whole field is, you know, Dr. James Comer. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, at Yale. And, yes, and, at Yale. And Dr. Comer would, would say that this is about building what happens in a good family. This is about understanding child development. Yes. This is about doing what is necessary to enable all people to mm-hmm. succeed. That leads, I think, beautifully into a section of your chapter on culturally responsive practices. Right. And so I want to just read another excerpt okay, from the, the chapter. It says, although social and emotional skill development is important for all students, the approach to developing these skills, the ways in which they are modeled, and the adults who are teaching them should attend to cultural diversity. This includes considering the cultural relevance of values, attitudes, behavior, and meanings of SEL-related concepts. That section of the chapter goes on to explore the ways in which SEL has looked different in different settings and the ways in which, for example, Chinese researchers have taken SEL and adapted it to Chinese culture. That was a really powerful section of the chapter, and it's an important area. If you were to identify that as kind of an area of exploration that needs further development for SEL, what do you think are other areas of exploration for SEL? Oh, well, okay, so a bunch of areas. One is independent of culture, How can young people Mm -hmm. or how can adults take and appropriate these skills and then bring them to other places where they need to? And what are the creative ways that they do it Mm -hmm. as well as what are the unsuccessful ways that we do it so that later on we can also help other people 
learn more. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me go back, for example, to resilience. Yeah. And we know that lots of people can be resilient. At the same time, we know that stress had, takes its toll. And so even when you look at high-performing people who demonstrate resilience, mm-hmm. it may be that if you look at their body, that they're facing it in other ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe some people who are high-performing and who exhibit resilience don't do that, and they have found other ways of doing this. We need to learn those uh-huh. ways. We need to learn so people can be better. Okay? Yes. Um, and, and be aware of be the aware, different yes. ways. Yes. I think we need to be able to figure out a language to help people who've learned to socialize children in one way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that there are alternatives, mm-hmm. that while they are different from what they're experienced, may actually be for most kids better. Yeah. And part of the challenge always is everyone thinks anecdotally, right? Mm-hmm. It worked for me. It can work yeah. for everybody. <laughs> That's right. Um, and it's more important that everyone doesn't have to be a researcher, but it, but what we need is people to be able to think epidemiologically, intuitively, right? Yeah. To understand the fact that I want I want something to work so all 100 people are thriving, mm-hmm. not so the 10 who could really mm-hmm. thrive mm-hmm. under these circumstances do thrive. Yes. I think we need to find ways at schools, but it could also be in community organizations or in the faith community, also at home where people can do the work of supporting social and emotional development easily while integrated into their daily routine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it's not just something that has to be an Mm add-on. So it's more that a parent, if she, he was cooking with their kids to know how they could cook with their kids and also be developing social and emotional learning skills yeah. using that piece. And again, some people may do it intuitively. Mm-hmm. Lots of us had grandmas who did a little of that intuitively, but <laughs> yeah. not everybody, right? But it's also for the teacher to be able to learn how to do it uh-huh. and how to do these things well enough. I think we also need to know what I talk about in my thinking, good enoughness. Mm-hmm. And what I mean here is I really, like I think you do, Allison, and the mm-hmm. people on the phone, have, have the real dream of making things work and work equitably and nicely for everybody. Mm-hmm. That means working at scale. Yes. You can't get perfection at scale, even though you can strive. But what is the minimum amount that is really necessary to be really good enough so that everybody is doing well? Yes. And I don't think we really know what that is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that there is a large area regarding social and emotional learning that involves how do we connect it to the needs of children who are at greater levels of risk, greater mm-hmm. levels of need. Mm-hmm. Most of the work on social emotional learning has been universal. Mm-hmm. That's really important. Yes. Its roots, ironically, was in work for children who are deaf or things like that, uh-huh. but, but that's no longer the case. Yeah. I don't think one should go away from universal, which is, the I would say, always foundational. Mm-hmm. But we need to think about how do we develop the social and emotional competencies of those people who are facing even greater challenges by what challenges them. Mm-hmm. That includes issues of trauma. And adverse childhood experiences. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And if we think about that, the more adversities that I experience, whether at home or in the community and that can include a school, Mm -hmm. the more likely it is that I will be Mm hypervigilant, that I will look and maybe act impulsively. Mm -hmm. And 
in terms of some adversities, if they've really been ones that have reinforced me not to trust relationships. Yes. It also may make it harder and harder for me to attach and attune with people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That does not mean that we cannot do anything. Mm -hmm. In fact, we can. Yeah. But it means that there's even more of a responsibility for us to do it, and we need to learn more about how to do it well. And, and how to do it intentionally yes. and how to do it efficiently. Yes, yes. And efficiently is partially money, but it's really, I think it's about time. Yeah, right. You know, it's about energy. Yes. I mean, how can we do this stuff in a nice and smart way? That, I think, actually dovetails nicely with the previous question about culturally relevant mm-hmm. um, practices in SEL. Yeah. What are some of the possibilities that you see for really expanding the kind of pool of culturally relevant oh, sure. practices in SEL yeah. Yeah. today? First, I think one thing I would do would be try to learn more about things that are already working that people are doing. So mm-hmm. let me go back to mm-hmm. families trying to prepare their children to survive in a very, very harsh world. Mm-hmm. Now, everyone doesn't do it well. Parenting's really, really hard. Yes. Okay. While I'm a white guy, I had, I have an ad, now adult black child, and mm-hmm. I had to face those particular issues there, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure I did it very, very well. I mean, this mm-hmm. is, this is really tough, but how do people have the, not only have a talk, but have it in a way that really enables young people to learn how to behave in a very nuanced way mm-hmm. to handle those things. Yes. And some people are doing that well. And mm-hmm. it's not just within the African-American community. It's in different Latino communities, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I think part of it is to find out what people are doing already, even if they were, aren't researchers. Mm-hmm. And it's not to just say, oh, that's good or good enough, but we could learn from that. Yeah. And then we could even check it out and test it and think whether or not we can pass it on to other people. Mm -hmm. I think there are efforts that are being done intentionally to do the application. Mm -hmm. And ideally, those are ones that are done Mm co-constructively. In terms of the work I've done in Bangladesh, the work I've done in China, work I'm doing in South Africa, and work we're studying that people are doing with Alaskan Native youth, Mm -hmm. that's what's happening. It's not people just coming in and saying, here's your culture, we know what to do, now we're going to make this adaptation, let's see if it works. Yes. But it's really giving people enough knowledge of what social emotional learning is. That they can made, adapt it. And then they can do the adaptation, yeah. and at the same time, then seeing if it works or not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Knowing that all adaptations won't work. Yeah. You know, all small businesses don't succeed. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that we just want it always to happen because kids need it, so we want to know what is working. Mm-hmm. But I think it's to really learn from both what are natural experiments that people are doing in their daily lives, mm-hmm. but also to learn from intentional efforts at adapting. And I think because there really is a worldwide interest in social and emotional learning, which mm-hmm. doesn't mean that everybody across the world is interested, but does mean we can find in almost every country people who are interested. We can start learning about how people do this work. Thank you, David Osher, for being here on Schoolhouse Mm -hmm. today. This is a wonderful conversation. Mm -hmm. I have 
I've been taking notes of several strands I want to follow up on, <laughs> including that notion of adaptation and, and really kind of fitting sure. SEL to yeah. the environment. So thank you. And I'm happy to come back if you're for one. Wonderful. Okay. Wonderful. How can folks find you if they want to find more information okay. about you or AIR? Sure. Okay. So I work at this very large not-for-profit called American Institutes for Research, AIR. Mm-hmm. And so my email is dosher at AIR.org. Mm-hmm. There is a, an AIR website, so that's a way of going, which would be, I guess, AIR.org. Mm-hmm. There are a whole variety of centers that I have the good fortune of leading because I have lots of really smart people who work with me. <laughs> and I won't give you the names right now, but if you were to go to me, we, we could give you um, links to them. And they're important because there are lots of places where you can find free information to do things. Let me add, because this is a joint product, that there's also castle.org that you want to go to to learn about social-emotional learning. C-A-S-E-L. Uh, yes. .org. Right. Mm-hmm. And in the case of my other colleagues, you can look for them at their universities mm-hmm. or in the case of Yale Kidron and Allison Demicki at AIR. So thank you very, very much. Thank you so much. David Osher is the Vice President and Institute Fellow at the American Institutes for Research. And this chapter is called Advancing the Science and Practice of Social and Emotional Learning, Looking Back and Moving Forward. It is in the 2016 volume of Review of Research in Education, which is the 100th year celebration of the American Educational Research Association. Many thanks again to all of you for listening to Schoolhouse. Thank you for uh, your support and for joining us this week. Remember that you can follow me at Allison R. Brown on Twitter and sign up for the Communities for Just Schools Fund newsletter at cjsfund.org. Have a wonderful week.